I'm excited about today. We're in Acts chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 17, um, and then we'll kind of be back and forth in the text today as we finish our study on the church at Ephesus and all that God did there. Acts 20, 17 says this, from Miletus, Paul, that's the apostle Paul, sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Now, let me stop right there and just catch up on where we've been in case you're new. The last four weeks, we've studied the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus was the greatest church in the history of the New Testament. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus commanded the church at Ephesus for getting it right. So we've been studying the church of Ephesus, finding out what they did that was so right. We talked three weeks ago about Jesus and how the only sustainable source of ministry in Christian life is Jesus. It can't be your church. It can't be your pastor. It can't be your spouse. It can't be your child. The only long-term sustainable source of your Christianity has got to be Jesus and your Christian motivation. The, the week after that, we talked about baptism. We saw that there were a bunch of people at Ephesus who had been baptized, but not biblically, not after their salvation. And we have, believe it or not, 30 people signed up to be baptized on October 18th as we kind of reflected. Yeah, you should put your hands together for that. That, that is huge. That's awesome. 30 people who are going to publicly say, I follow Jesus because of what we learned in Ephesus. We had dozens and dozens of people at the altar two weeks ago because of the church of Ephesus. They came and they gave Jesus their stuff. They, they just gave Jesus their problems and they abandoned them to God so that they could live for God. We saw that happen in our congregation. Last week on our four-year anniversary, we cast the 10 and 20-year vision for our church. If you weren't here, you should go listen to it online to see where we think God is taking us as a church. But it's all been through the lens of this church in Ephesus. And I believe we've had the greatest three weeks in the history of our church the last 21 days at our church. God's just been moving in ways we've never really seen before. And it's all been because of what we learned through the church at Ephesus. Now, Paul taught at the church of Ephesus, the Bible says, almost every day for three years. And after three years, he had to leave them. He left some people there to pastor them. But he had to go back to Jerusalem because he wanted to go back to a feast and it took him nearly five months to get from Ephesus to Jerusalem because he went the long way. Instead of going straight from Ephesus to Jerusalem, he went from Ephesus back through all the churches that he had started and then to Jerusalem. Why would you take five months to go somewhere that was really important for you to get to? He did that because he had to collect offering at every spot to take to Jerusalem to give because of a famine in Jerusalem and the hurting people there that needed the church's help. Never underestimate how important it is to take the offering at church. I know we've moved it in our services recently. Maybe that's thrown you off a little bit. But you need to understand, Paul went out of his way to take the offering because he knew people needed help. And every time we take the offering at our church, every time you give in the offering at our church, you are helping people who need help in our Jerusalem, in our Lee Summit, in our Judea, right here in Kansas City, and all over the world. When we take an offering, people all over the world are helped. That's what was happening. Paul was on the way home from taking this offering, he had a port stop that was about 30 miles from Ephesus. And he said, I don't have time to go to the church. They have time to come to me. Come get them. I want to talk to them. And, and in his final conversation with his church, it was so near and dear to his heart. Here's what we read about. And what we read helps us learn how to finish our race spiritually. So look at verse 18. We're going to pick up. Here's what Paul's saying to the Ephesian elders from the church of Ephesus. It says this in 18. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city... 
The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. If you are going to finish your race well, you have to, number one, consider the spiritual value of your life. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard your, your life has spiritual value, and it does. Your life has spiritual value to God. Your life has spiritual value to your spouse. Your life has spiritual value to your children. Your life has spiritual value to your neighbors and to your coworkers and people you interact with. If you have the Spirit of God in you, your life has spiritual value or is meant to have spiritual value to anyone and everyone that you come into contact with. Look at verse 24 again. Paul said, my life outside of the spiritual things, not worth a whole lot, but spiritually, I've got a mission, I've got a task, and I've got to finish it. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So let me ask you a question this morning. Did you spend any time this week or this month investing in your heavenly bank account? Did you spend any time this week? Did you spend any time this month? Have you spent any time this year building up and investing in your heavenly bank account. Because a lot of us have spent time this week investing in our personal bank accounts. We can pay bills. We've invested a little in our retirement this month. How many of you this week have invested spiritually? So I'm not sure how that works. Let me tell you how it works. If you've spent time with God this month, if you've read your Bible this month, if you've spent time deepening your relationship with Jesus, you've made eternal investments. If you've spent time going to small group, and being mutually encouraged and encouraging to someone. And if you've taken time out of your life to study God's word and talk about Christian things, you've invested eternally. If you've volunteered or served anywhere at our church or in the community or around your neighborhood, if you've volunteered and served, you've invested eternally. If you've given in an offering or given to people in need, you've invested internally. If you've invited someone to hear who Jesus is or be at a place where the presence of God can touch them, you've invested eternally. If you've shared your past experience experiences with someone who's going through something similar now and they're not sure they can make it but your story gives them confidence that they're going to make it you've invested eternally if you've spent any time praying this month you've invested eternally if you've ministered to any hurting people anywhere you've invested spiritually if you've led people spiritually from where they are to where they need to be you've invested spiritually and jesus says don't miss how important it is to invest spiritually in the sermon on the mount in matthew 6 19 and 20 jesus said don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust or vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. Jesus said, don't spend your entire life living for now. Make sure you take some time for eternity and invest in eternal things. So, man, I heard a story about a businessman a few years ago that so well reflected this, I never forgot it. I heard a pastor in Georgia talking about a businessman in his church who was like uber wealthy, multi, 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 hundreds of millions of dollars. And he started this company that he had all these young kind of leaders working at. And he was bothered that none of these young leaders seemed to ever think about the future and none of them ever seemed to live life beyond just the here and the now. He said they're all about the moment. So he decided to do something. He owned a home in Maui. So he decided that any of his high-level leaders that worked at his company for three years, on, the th- on their three-year anniversary, he was going to send them for a month to Maui, all expenses paid. They were going to get to go stay in his house in Maui for a month, just kind of as a congratulations for making it three years. But he had an ulterior motive. He wanted to teach them how to think. So when they walked into his house in Maui, the house was empty. I mean, there was... 
there was nothing in the kitchen, like not even any appliances. There was no furniture in the house. There was nothing in the closet. There was no food in the cabinets. The house was empty except for a large yellow envelope that laid on a welcome table that greeted them. And inside were two envelopes and a letter. And the letter said something like this, welcome to Maui, I hope you have a great month. You've got two options from here on out. Um, inside one of the envelopes is a, uh, is a prepaid credit card. It has a quarter million dollars on it. Jurors, you can use it this month for whatever you want. Inside the other envelope is, uh, is cash. Um, my illustration does not have real cash. It's actually from India. I just found this in, in my drawer. So it's not good for anything if you want to try to steal it. Inside the other envelope was, uh, was $25,000 of cash. And he said, this also is for your time on the island. But here's the catch. You can only use one. And here's the second catch. Um, everything you buy with the credit card to stock the house, to get things ready for your stay, to make your, your stay comfortable. Everything you buy with a credit card stays. However, if you choose the cash, everything you buy with the $25,000 cash at the end of your trip, I will ship home and you can keep it. He, said, he, he told the pastor, he said, not one time in 10 years did anyone ever use the credit card. This generation who lived for here and for now and who never thought of later, when they realized that a current investment could last longer than now. He said, not one time in 10 years did anyone take the quarter million dollars. They all invested a little more in their trip so they could have extra later. Man, what a great spiritual lesson for people who are not willing to slow down enough now to invest a little bit in things that will last forever. Don't have time to read my Bible, even though the 10 minutes of this day will last forever. Don't have time to serve at church, even though that 30 minutes before or after, that will last forever. Don't really have time to go to small group, even though that 90 minutes of my week will last forever. What if we were really aware of the fact that the things we do spiritually, the value of them last forever? You see, if the finish line of our race is eternal life, like if that's when we see the result of our Christianity, if the finish line of our race is eternal life, if the finish line of our race is eternal impact and what's going to last forever, then we can't stop running in this lifetime because we're so busy and we just live for the here and the now. So the spiritual value of our life lasts forever if we will slow down enough to pull back a little bit to invest spiritually in who we are here and now so that we can have eternal rewards awaiting us. You might say, Christian, I'd love to do that. I've got a bunch going on. I was hoping you would say that. Literally, I'm hoping you're listening to this thinking, I'd love to do that. I don't have time. Because if that's where you are, this message is for you. Look at Acts 21.1. Because after Paul got done with his speech to the Ephesian elders, it tells how they moved to the next stage of their Christian life. In Acts 21.1, it says, After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea, and we sailed straight to cost. Number two, if you want to finish your race well, you have to be willing to tear away from things in order to follow Jesus completely. I mean, if you really want to finish well, and you want to lay up eternal rewards for yourself in heaven, you've got to be willing to tear away from some things now so that you can follow Jesus completely. Look at verse one again. I want you to underline three words. After we had torn ourselves away. I want you to underline those words, torn ourselves away. In just a minute, I'm going to translate that from you, for you from the original language, and you're going to see that this is not an easy thing, but it's a necessary thing spiritually. Have people ask me all the time, Christian, what's God's will for my life? Man, what do you, what do you think God's will is for my life? And I, I've got two answers to that question. One, I, I'm not sure. Two, I know completely. Because at the micro level, I don't know what God's 
will for your life is moment by moment, decision by decision. I mean, I can't step into every second of your life and say, I think God wants you to do this. But at the macro level, like at the big level, it's very simple from the Bible to say, this is God's will for your life. There's four things according to the Bible that are God's will for your life. One of them is worship. Worship carries the idea, the word worship is made up of two words that is worth and ship. It means that, that God is the most valuable thing. He's worth more than everything in your life. God said, I want to be the most valuable thing in your life. And you kind of express that through worship, not just singing at a church, but how you live your life, how you spend your time, how you treat other people. Everything we do for God is an act of worship. Secondly, is community. Living in community. The Bible says that God created Adam. He lived in the perfect place with the perfect pets, with, at the perfect temperature. He had everything, but he was alone. And God says, it's not good for people to be alone. So God created people to live in community. It's God's will that you would live in community, really a biblical community that supports you, that challenges you, that encourages you, that helps you live spiritually. Number three, it would be God's will that you serve. Ephesians 2.10 says we are saved, we are transformed by God's grace so that we can do good works. It's God's will for us to serve and to make the world around us a better place by serving it and serving the people in it. And then number four is to grow. 1 Corinthians 3 says God's will for you to grow. God wants you to grow. God makes things grow. So if you were to ask me, what's God's will for my life? I would say, God wants you to worship. He wants you to live in community. He wants you to serve. He wants you to grow. I can tell you that's what the Bible says. That's God's will for your life. At our church, we kind of filter those things this way. We worship through our Sunday services. It's kind of where we try to get people to worship and open up and learn God's word and lean in spiritually. It's where we try to place a high value on God. We offer community through small groups. We ask people to get engaged in small groups and get to know people and take time to do that. We allow people to serve through volunteering at our church and in our community and in our city. And then we are always trying to help people grow spiritually by giving them spiritual growth plans and getting them in the Word of God daily. I think there's one on the, on the Next Steps table right now that gives you literally what to read every day from now through January that will help you just grow a little bit spiritually. It's God's will that you would worship, that you would live in community, that you would serve, that you would grow. At our church, we've even kind of created a graphic for this that all start with the same letter so people can remember them. We tell people at our new attender lunch that if you want our church to work for you where you grow spiritually, you have to participate in the four E's, experience worship, engage in small groups, embrace serving, equip yourself with a spiritual growth plan. We want to see people move into God's will for them. However, it's impossible to complete our spiritual race. It's impossible to live this plan for our life without being willing to shed some things in life that slow us down spiritually. There's just too much going on to completely live God's will for our life and live life as it is now. And if you look at these things, God's will for my life, worship, community, serving, growing, a lot of you would say, I'd love to do that. I really don't, I don't have time, Christian. You have to tear yourself away from some things. Like what? You want to know the excuses we hear that people need to tear themselves away from? We say, why aren't you going to small group? I'm like, oh, I, you know, I'd love to go to small group, but I've got bunko on, you know, Monday nights, and we're bunking it, whatever that, you know, we're doing bunko. You know, Christian, I'd love to go to a women's small group, actually, but I got hot yoga on Tuesday mornings, and I got to go sweat and stretch. And I, you know, I don't have time for a women's small group. Yeah, I'd like to, like to serve a little more, but I coach the kindergarten debate team, you know, and like if these kids, you know, don't learn to debate now, They'll never get into an Ivy League school, you know? I was going to start reading my Bible, but, I, you know, I binge-watch Netflix. Every night when it gets dark, I just start watching dozens and dozens of shows. I'd love to be faithful to church and worship every week, but I sleep in on Sundays. It's a day that, that I get to catch up on a little rest. 
know, I'd love to spend some time reading my Bible, but I actually spend so much time stalking people that I don't even like on Facebook and Instagram to make sure their life's not better than my life um, that I do, you know, I'm not, I've not really got time for that. Listen, we only have limited hours that we can invest spiritually that count forever. You're going to have to tear yourself away from some things in order to lean in spiritually. Hebrews 12.1 says it this way, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Acts 21 says that Paul had to tear himself away from something. Hebrews 12 says we have to lay down things that hinders. When you put these two things together and you bring in one of the greatest Bible teachers of our day, Dr. John MacArthur, here's what he says these two words mean. This is what this looks like spiritually, to tear away from something to follow Jesus. It's a traumatic parting of ways with something that weighs us down, diverts our attention, saps us of energy, or dampens our enthusiasm for the things of God. These are not sinful things. These are just busy things. The Ephesian elders were not sinful people, but unless Paul separated from them, he could not get to his purpose in life. And the things you're, bunco is not sinful, I don't think. I don't know what it is, but I think it's okay. If it's not, someone tell me and I'll retract that next week. Teaching kindergartners debate is not a bad thing. Being the MVP of the Lee Summit Curling Association is not a, a bad thing. Or whatever you're doing that doesn't allow you to connect fully to church. But tearing yourself from everything that hinders is a traumatic parting of the ways. It's going to be difficult. But from anything that weighs you down, diverts your attention, saps you of energy that you could give to God or dampens your enthusiasm for church, for small group, for serving, these things that are weighing you down and holding you back spiritually, if you want to finish your race well, you've got to tear away from those things. Because tearing away from the right things and the right people at the right time allows you to run your spiritual race at the right pace. It allows you to run at the race God intends for you to run so that you can catch up and connect to God in a powerful, powerful way. A few years ago, I ran the Chicago Marathon, and I just happened to register for the Chicago Marathon that was going to be the coldest Chicago Marathon on record. It was like 34 degrees at race time, and it was kind of spitting snow. It was a miserable experience. Running 26.2 miles in any weather is miserable, and really waiting in really, really cold weather was just awful. But something happened at, at that marathon that I'd never experienced before that I think is an unbelievable picture of Hebrews 12.1. 40,000 people run in the Chicago Marathon about every year. So it's like this massive, massive race. Um, and, and you line up literally for blocks and blocks and blocks, and they start the really, really fast guys first, like the pros get out the gate first. And then losers like me, they put it like the very, very back. And they're like, you know, just finish and we'll try not to let the cars on the road um, before you're done. So like from the time the fast guys start to the time the fat guys start is, you know, you take out the S and it adds about 40 minutes um, going in there. So by the time I, you know, kind of jog, walk several blocks to the starting line, something has happened. All of the runners, as they're waiting to get started, because it's 30 degrees, have on hooded sweatshirts, hats, gloves, sweatpants. Um, everyone kind of looks like the abominable snowman. And as you start going towards the finish line, as these people got near to the starting line, they just took their, they took their clothes off and they just left them on the ground. So I'm walking for blocks trying to figure out, like, if I've missed the rapture. Um, you know, there's just, like, clo- just clothes everywhere, like, like, like full sets of clothes. 
And I'm thinking, should I run this race? Should I just grab a trash bag and like sell all this stuff? And he's like Under Armour, Nike, Adidas. I mean, thousands of dollars of clothes just laying on the road. These people had thrown off their heavy stuff so that by the time they got to the starting line, they were running. And I thought, man, what a great picture spiritually. Like, like if, if we could see spiritually, anyone who ever walks into a small group has had to have laid down some stuff in their life. Like there should be a trail of stuff in a yard that they've had to lay down in order to fit this extra hour in their life. You know, if, if you actually take time to read your Bible at night, I mean, it's like there's a trail of from television to iPads to Netflix to books to phones that you've had to kind of throw off and lay down. It's like there should be piles of stuff leading up to your spiritual commitment. If we could see it spiritually, that's the idea, that the closer we get to the finish line spiritually, the more stuff we allow to slide off our back, and we just kind of leave it in the road so that we can run our race well. But there's one more thing needed to finish the race well. Look at verses 2 through 14 of Acts 21. So Paul says, After we tore ourselves away, verse 2, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, We went on board and we set sail. After sighting Cyprus, that's an island, and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship unloaded its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and we landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, one of my favorite spots in Israel. And we stayed stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. He tied his own hands and feet with it. And he said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, let the Lord's will be done. Number three. Here's what you need to understand if you really want to run your race well and finish well. It's hard to live for Jesus without dying to yourself. It's really hard to live well and completely for Jesus without dying to yourself. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. It had been prophesied that Paul might die in Jerusalem. Everybody's like, no, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But but Paul said, my purpose is there. And Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, let the Lord's will be done. Paul said, I'm not afraid to die to things in my life in order to live for Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's a New Testament truth and it's a New Testament theme that in order to live for Jesus, you have to be willing to die to parts of yourself. Even Jesus said, you you can't actually even live for me until you will die to some of yourself. In Mark 8, 34, it says, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Paul knew this. And for the apostle Paul, when we study his life, death for the apostle Paul became a moment that he both looked forward to and that he tried to cheat. In a really weird way, Paul said, I'm not afraid to die to things. I'm actually not afraid to die. Because if I die, I get to go be with Jesus. However, if I live, 
I get to keep racing. I get to keep helping. I get to keep worshiping. I get to keep living in community. I get to keep serving. I I get to keep living for Jesus and making an impact. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, he said it this way, this thought of, I look forward to death, but I'm trying to cheat it every day too. He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, it'll mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I'd rather die, he said. But it's more necessary for you that I live, that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I'm going to remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Told Paul, Paul, you're going to have to die to yourself to live for Jesus. Paul said, cool, I've already done that. I actually am willing to die physically, but I will keep living physically if that means other people can know Jesus. So Paul said, if I die, I win. If I live, I cheat death because other people are going to win. So we see these three themes of finishing the race through the life of Jesus and the ministry of Paul. Living for Jesus is hard. No one ever said it would be easy. Jesus warned us in Mark 8, 34, you're going to follow me, but that's going to be hard. You have to deny some things. You have to tear away from some things. You have to die to some things. But living for Jesus is worth it, number two. Living for Jesus is hard, but living for Jesus is worth it. So finish what God has started in you spiritually. That's what Paul is saying. Living for Jesus is hard, but living for Jesus is worth it. So finish what you've started spiritually. And let me tell you this. I believe this is the point where we stop racing. I believe this is the point. This is the mile marker of the race. I believe where thousands, tens of thousands of people in our city have sat down on the track. This, in this race of the Christian life, when they get to this mile marker called die to yourself, to give a little, to serve a little, to help a little, they kind of say, you know what, I don't think I'm ready for that lap, and they just sit down. They sit on the track. When we moved to Lee Summit five years ago to start our church, I met with community leaders and city leaders, and I met with pastors, and I said, tell me about the people who live in Lee Summit, because eight out of ten people in our city do not attend church on a regular basis. I said, tell me what these 80% of people are doing. Who are they? Are they bad people? Do they love the devil? Do they hate church? What's going on with all these people who don't go to church? And they used a term that I'd never heard before. They said, the vast majority of Lee Summit is de-churched. I said, what, what is that? I've heard of unchurched. means they don't go to church. What is de-churched? They said it's people who used to go to church, probably grew up in church, probably grew up around spiritual things or some kind of Christian or Catholic school. They grew up around the faith. And when the faith began to take too much away from their life, they sat down. They sat down at the mile marker called, I'm too busy to keep living for Jesus. They sat down at the mile marker called, die to yourself to keep running the race for Jesus. And they said, there are thousands of people in this community just sitting on the track. They're actually running the race. They would say they love Jesus. They would say they want to go to heaven. They would say they want forgiveness. And they think maybe they've got all that. But they're too busy in their life to keep running the race, so they have sat down on the track. And when I think about somebody sitting down on a track that needs to get motivated to get back up. My mind always flashes to the most well-known loser in Olympic history. You know, most people in the Olympics are known for winning, not for losing. But Derek Redman is known for a moment that he was disqualified. Derek Redman was a 400-meter sprint champion from Great Britain. He was a world champion several times over. And the Barcelona Olympics were supposed to be the time that he finally won the gold medal. And in the quarterfinals, he had the fastest time in the world. And in the semifinals, he won his heat 
going away. But in the finals, the 400-meter finals at the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, they started the race, and he got about halfway through, and his hamstring literally tore in two. He didn't pull it. He tore it. The doctor who did surgery to attach it said, this is the worst hamstring Terry had ever seen. And he said, you will never run again in any way. Your, your hamstring will never allow you to run again. And there's a famous moment of Derek Redmond kneeling on the track at the Olympics. He knows he's too hurt to run, but he's not finished the race. He's just kneeling there. And it takes him a few seconds, but he recovers. And he gets up and he starts trying to limp to the finish line. Now, he knows, because he's a professional sprinter, that if anybody touches him, he's disqualified. So as he's limping down the home stretch, people are coming to try to help him, and he keeps waving them away. And he goes, and then he falls, and then he goes, and he falls. And then out of the stands, I, I don't know why I cry every time I tell this story, but out of the stands, you see his dad jump out of the stands, bust through the security guard, and he runs up, and he grabs his son, and he puts his arm around his boy, and at first, his son doesn't know who he is, so he tries to shoo him away so he won't be disqualified. But when he sees it's his dad, he just puts his arm around him, he buries his head in his chest, and just starts bawling. And they literally, disqualified, walk the final 100 meters with 100,000 people on their feet cheering him on. He was willing to be disqualified to finish beside his father. I'm going to ask our band to come and get ready to worship, but I want you to see what I just explained to you. Because some of you are kneeling on the track spiritually right now. For some reason, you're hurt spiritually, you're tired spiritually, you're wounded spiritually, you've had a, you've had a bad experience spiritually, you're questioning spiritually. Some of you have sat down on the track. And to stand means to limp. But if you will get back up, I promise you, your father will come racing out of the stand, your heavenly father, and he will carry you to the finish and beyond. You know, I've been crying since Tuesday when I watched that video for the first time. I keep thinking it'll get easier, but it doesn't. And I don't know if it's because I've got the greatest dad in the world and I know he'd do that for me. Or because I've got two kids that I would run through anyone for. Or if it's because I know how many times I've sat down on the track spiritually. I said, Lord, I don't know that I can do it anymore. And he's raced through people to pick me up and say, let's finish. I don't know if you read if you read the dad's lips, one of the security guys tried to come and move him. And he said to the security guards, he's mine. You know, you're going to encounter some things in your life that you're not willing to walk through on your own. But that's when God says, you're mine. I got you. I got you. Get up. Keep going. One Olympian was willing to be disqualified to finish his race with his father at his side. Only one of all of those was willing to lose so they could finish with their father. And if we would be willing in our life to see our spiritual value and live for eternity, and if we'd be willing to tear away from the things that are difficult, and if we would be willing to die to ourselves that we might finish with the father, what could our spiritual race look like? What could your spiritual race look like? It's time to get off the track. It's time to get off the track and it's time to get past the next mile mark. You say, Christian, I'm too wounded. I can't do it. Listen, I promise you, if you will stand up and start going, the Father will race to your side. He will grab you and he'll tell people, he's mine. We're going to finish. Get out of our way. We're going to finish. It's time to get off the track. 
It's time to finish your race well. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and would you stand with me as we prepare to worship?